Right, good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome everybody to this talk by the Portuguese finance minister, Mario Luís Albuquerque. If I can pronounce my Portuguese almost correctly. She's going to talk to us about the difficult transition that Portugal faced, opportunities and lessons for policymakers. For those familiar with LSE, what we will do is have roughly half an hour of talk, then uh, complete the session with questions and answers. I'm told that I have to mention that there's something called Twitter. You should be able to see there a Twitter code, which is hashtag Portugal. Anyone who wants to be tweeting away while we're talking can, can engage in this. To introduce our speaker... She is relatively recently uh, become the finance minister, having uh, uh, replaced uh, Vitor Gaspar, another old friend of LSE, who was transplanted to Washington to take over the, the European division of the IMF. Uh, she has been, shall we say, a career finance ministry person since leaving university in the, when was it, uh, 10 years ago, roughly? Almost 10, yeah. But... Working in macroeconomic forecasting, a very handy tool to have when you're trying to work out where an economy is going after uh, the Troika has left. And she has gone gradually from civil servant to state secretary to now minister. I'm not sure this means you're a technocrat or not, but uh, you can make your own judgment on that. So without further ado, I'm happy, Minister, to introduce you and uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, hi everyone. Looking at this audience reminds me of uh, when I was teaching. Well, it's a bit more diversified than my students used to be, but a part of it reminds me of when I was teaching. It was a number of years ago. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you very much for, for having me here. I will try to speak for, not for too long, so that we will have time for Q&A, which is usually the most interesting part of the session, at least for me. Uh, so I will try not to worry you too, to worry you too much, um, but I would like to give you a few um, highlights of what has been happening in Portugal, which should be built around the, um, uh, what is written there, so this Portugal's way forward, how to turn challenges into opportunities and lessons into policy, which is the, the way we like to put what, uh, what lies ahead. And these are basically the four points <clears throat> of my presentation. When we look at the outlook for Portugal uh, and the growth forecasts that we have included in the recent update of the stability program, we see that for this year, we had already positive growth last year. We are expecting 2015 small, some acceleration of growth, then again for 2016, and then we estimate at this stage a growth rate, a yearly growth rate of 2.4% uh, from 17 to 19. This does not factor in the impact of further structural reforms and also not, doesn't completely factor in the further impacts of structural reforms already implemented. 
So this contains a number of policy measures. So this is not a no policy change scenario. It's a policy change scenario, but does not factor in the impact of future reforms and the deepening of existing reforms. So we like to keep in our scenarios some positive risks so that they can also um, be a counteract negative risk factors which may arise from other uh, events not necessarily related to Portugal but to the external environment which always affects a small open economy such as Portuguese as the Portuguese. Uh, this is the expected evolution for the same um, horizon up to 2019 of domestic demand. So private domestic demand, you have the two items there, investment and private consumption. What we expect to see is a significant pickup in investment. It has decreased very significantly during the crisis. We are now seeing the interest of investors on investment. One very significant indicator was the demand recorded for a, the, the last tender we opened for EU funds. We opened an amount of 350 million and actually the demand was 1.7 billion. So that shows how much investment is out there waiting to, um, to be made, which will also look for uh, banking uh, funds, EU funds, uh, um, foreign investment hopefully, but there is clearly a more positive trend on investment. Consum private consumption is also resuming levels from before the crisis. So it's gradually uh, going back to the levels that existed before. And when you see the impact of this on the external balance, you see that we expect to have a, almost the same growth rates for imports and exports. Both investment and private consumption in Portugal have a significant imported component. So as we see investment and private consumption pick up, we will also see uh, imports picking up. But we expect the positive behavior of exports to continue to be recorded going forward, as we have witnessed in these last few years. The labor market continues to be one of our biggest challenges. It is clearly the most significant concern of the Portuguese um, people, the fact that unemployment is still very high. The truth is it was already very high before the crisis, so the uh, growing stock of unemployment and the loss of competitiveness on the way, on the run-up to the crisis is the underlying structural problem that we have to address. We expect it to come down, to continue to come down in the next few years. As you see, our expectation here is not over-optimistic, so we hope that with the new reforms that we will implement, we will be able to improve this, uh, this current forecast. But again, we prefer to be prudent here, and this is what the evolution that we expect to record on the unemployment. The employment growth is uh, sort of the other side of the mirror uh, on the chart on the right. And how will Portugal grow? This is the key question. It's not just putting figures on a chart or on a table. How will Portugal grow? What will be the sources of growth going forward? And we had a decisive stabilization of the Portuguese economy, which is key to consolidate the adjustment process. So the fact that we have got this far does not mean that everything is done. So we need to continue and to consolidate what has already been achieved. 
we also have to maintain the sense of fiscal responsibility. It's very important to bear in mind that always the trigger to the, the crisis, to adjustment programs, is the inability of the Treasury to fund itself in the market. That's always a trigger. Before that happens, there is no need for adjustment programs, and there is often no perception of the existing problem, uh, problems. So when markets shut down, then we realize we are in a deep crisis, and then we have to undergo an adjustment process. So it is key to maintain this fiscal responsibility to guarantee that this trigger does not have um, the negative consequences in the economy as we have witnessed, particularly in the last few years and also sustain the reform momentum to gain competitiveness. Uh, this is a topic of some disagreement between us and the institutions, uh, that they claim that the reform momentum has, uh, has diminished. We do not agree with this claim. We continue to approve measures, to implement measures. Uh, we continue to maintain the reform effort, it's, it might be a question of uh, meeting their expectations, uh, which apparently uh, seemed that they wanted us to do all sorts of reforms and solve all sorts of problems in a four-year period, which is clearly not possible. Uh, that being said, a lot remains to be done, and it is very important to sustain this reform momentum and to make sure that the reforms which were implemented will be assessed, recalibrated if needed, and that new reforms will be introduced so as to produce a more competitive economy and a more sustained growth path, which can also lead to the creation of sustainable jobs, or sustained jobs, better said. So it's this virtuous cycle of fiscal responsibility, widespread structural reforms, and increasingly dynamic exports. This is clearly the strategy going forward. Portugal is a small open economy. It cannot have a winning strategy by depending on its internal market or internal consumption that is not sustainable. Actually, we've tried that model in the past, and we know it doesn't work. So we have to be focused on external markets and to make sure that we will be exporting a growing part of our GDP. We have increased from about 28% of GDP in the beginning of the crisis to 40% now, and we need to continue to build on that so that we are basically export-oriented or oriented to the tradable sector. So it's not necessarily just exports, but also replacing some of the, uh, the imports of the country. But the tradable sector is clearly where we need to focus our competitiveness gains, and this is what will sustain the growth of the economy going forward, along with the two other elements that constitute this virtuous cycle. <clears throat> When we look at public debt, which is obviously a very important aspect whenever we look at Portugal, how is the public debt performing? We see that it's stabilized in the last couple of years. We had a few statistical effects and also the devaluation of the euro playing a role there in, the, in the, not bringing it down uh, when we expected it to. But still, it's stabilized, and it's now, yeah, now it has actually decreased already. 
um, from the, the peak level, excuse me, it reached uh, by the end of 2014, and it should be gradually coming down. You see also there that there is a very significant cash buffer that we have in order to face potential uh, moments of volatility. We have regained full market access, but we prefer to be prudent and to keep a cash buffer um, at hand just in case something happens uh, and we have to face uh, volatility in the market. But that cash buffer will also be gradually reduced going forward as the market normalizes and our own ability to tap the market uh, becomes more, becomes stronger. The fiscal adjustment will proceed. You can see that we have already recorded a um, primary surplus in uh, 2014. It will continue to increase going forward, uh, and we are actually expecting to have a budget surplus by 2019, which will be a first. Um, the primary surplus is not a common feature of our public finances, unfortunately, which explains why the debt accumulated so much, but we expect to, have to record a full budget surplus by 2019, hopefully even a little earlier. Again, these are prudent forecasts. When we look at the structural budget balance, which is when we take out the effects of the cycle through a very complicated mathematical method, which I'm sure you will, at least some of you, would uh, could try and calculate and see if you get to the same results. That would be an interesting exercise. Um, all the methodology is available on the internet, so you can you can do it as well as the data. Uh, but we see that the structural balance, once we take out the effects of the cycle, we will hit the MTO already in 2016. So the medium-term objective is a deficit, a structural deficit of 0.5% of GDP. Uh, and then with the policies that we have included in our scenario, we will gradually improve the structural balance until 2019. This is a very long list of the reforms we have implemented. That's uh, a few slides uh, from this one, one of four. Uh, I will not be describing all of them. This is just to give you an idea of how far the reforms went and how um, comprehensive they were in addressing the structural challenges of the Portuguese economy. So we had the product market reform. These are just examples on the energy sector, telecommunications, housing, the transport sector. Then if you look at the labor market reform, we have a number of measures already introduced which increase the flexibility of the labor market. The judicial reform, which is a key reform, it's actually one of the first to be considered completed by the Troika during the program. And it is key to the competitiveness. Investors need to trust the judicial system in order to invest in a country. And there we clearly had issues of the time it takes to solve a problem. Not other types of issues, but it just... It still takes too long because a reform such as this requires time to produce effects, but it's already improving, and we now have a judicial system which is much better suited to a modern economy which wants to attract foreign investment and also domestic investment, obviously. 
and this is just an example of a few of the measures which were introduced. We also have the fiscal structural element of the reforms, which is the organization of public administration, public financial management. Uh, actually, this this uh, um, public financial management is a huge, huge reform we have introduced in all the budgetary process. It is something that citizens in general do not um, appreciate as much because it's very technical. But in order to have the public finances under control, you need to increase the transparency of the budget, the comprehensiveness of the budget, the accountability of the budget. It has to be audited by external independent entities. We have to reduce the fragmentation of the budget. A lot of uh, a significant part of the expenditure uh, is difficult to control due to problems of the budget organization itself. So it is key to have this reform so that we have full control over the whole universe of public expenditure. Because with that, we can get to what we would all want and that citizens actually understand much better, which is lowering the tax burden. But the tax burden, the taxes are not an endogenous variable. Taxes are the result of the decisions on expenditure. You decide to spend, and then you need to have the, the tax revenues to cover for that expenditure. So first you have to decide on the expenditure, and if you can bring it down sustainably, then you can also bring the, the taxes down, the tax rates down, and provide what the citizens want, which is the appropriate level of provision of public services, which is more difficult to define than this simple expression that I used, and the corresponding tax level to finance that level of public service provision. And we have also introduced some reforms on the taxes, on, on the tax front. The corporate income tax reform, the personal income tax reform, and the green tax reform. And we've done a lot in terms of improving the efficiency and effectiveness of tax collection. Actually, people fear the IRS, the same as you see in the American movies now. We fear the IRS. And death and taxes is becoming also true for Portugal, and it was not so a number of years ago. It's not something which was achieved only in the last four years. That process started still in the 2000s, but we continue to work on what already existed to improve the effectiveness and efficiency of tax collection. Uh, then we have conducted a major reform on the SOEs. We have still a very significant uh, uh, state-owned enterprises sector in across in many different sectors, but especially in the transport sector, they are very meaningful. We have a very successful privatization history, as uh, most of you probably have followed. We have had very successful transactions since the beginning of the program uh, on the energy sector, on the airport sector, uh, the postal office, which we privatized through um, the stock exchange, which was also a major success. Uh, and I'm sure that those who invested there are also very happy with the valuation of the stocks. Um, and we have also renegotiated um, a number of existing uh, public 
private partnership contracts which existed, with very significant, which constitute a very significant burden for the budget going forward, and we have reached an accumulated amount of savings of 7.5 billion euros. This was done on uh, ne negotiated with uh, the counterparties, with the concessionaries, with the banks uh, financing this, um, these projects. So there is no risk involved, and it constitutes a significant um, reduction on the uh, burden for the budget. The quality of public spending is also something which is assessed more and more on a, on a permanent basis. Uh, and we have reviewed the public procurement code and we have implemented something called Portal Bas, where all public tenders are included, where all awarded contracts are uh, revealed, so that also citizens can scrutinize the, uh, the way that the public entities behave in this, uh, in this matter. And also, we have invested a lot in improving the efficiency and effectiveness in the healthcare system because it is very important to have the means to spend in the healthcare system but given the the nature of the system itself which tends to be which tends to be more and more expensive we need to make sure that the spending there is really effective and we, we don't spend more than what is strictly necessary to provide the services uh, improving business environment is obviously something we worry very much about because it has to do with our ability to attract investment, foreign investment, but also domestic investment. And this is, again, a non-exhaustive list of, uh, of measures introduced from uh, to promote increased competition in the internal market, a comprehensive reform of the corporate income tax, which was already... Um, in fact, just to give you an idea, we started out with a corporate income tax rate of 25%. We are now at 21, and we expect to have it at 17 by 2019. And we have decided to start lowering the tax burden with the corporate income tax because we want to promote investment. Investment generates jobs generate wealth, so we thought it would be important to start there so that then we would have revenues to also distribute to, to the households if started with the corporate income tax. Uh, we have introduced changes in the number of elements. This is also part of the judicial system reform because, of course, these are all interlinked. Um, helping companies in their restructuring processes, helping them to deleverage from the very high levels of debt that many of them still have, and also promoting the right instruments to increase the level of equity and to diversify the sources of funding. Uh, also, administrative modernization and simplification, reduction of administrative burdens, that is just a few highlights of a very, very long list of measures. Actually, there's a booklet we have published by the end of the program with 1,450 measures introduced during the program, so it's quite a lot. I promise I won't try to describe them all. Um, this is the evolution of the export to GDP ratio, and there you see we had, by 2010, uh, it was... 29.9%. It's now at 2014, uh, 10 percentage points more than it was in, uh, in 2010. And we expect this growth to continue, both because the 
corporate sector has looked for opportunities abroad, and it is important to make sure that even as the internal market recovers, they do not lose the focus on other markets and they maintain this diversification. Even if they also produce to the internal market, that they maintain this sort of foot in other markets so as to be able to react better to cyclical downturns, which will always happen because they do. So it's, uh, it's part of what we know about the economy, that there are cycles and things will improve and they will go under again. That's, that's how it is. Um, just an idea of how this is uh, divided. So we have about 71%. This is 2014 uh, data for the exported goods. Um, about 70% intra-EU trade and 30% extra-EU. And just the year-on-year -year growth rate of our exports, just to highlight the UK, we had a growth of 12.5% last year. China, 27.5. Oh, okay, the base was low, but still, it's a very interesting rate, growth rate to, to record. And Spain continues to be our main trading partner for obvious reasons, still registered growth. So even for markets within Europe, we were able to gain market share and to increase the proportion of our exports. This is just an idea of how diversified our export base is, because it's not necessarily well known by everyone what does Portugal export to other countries. Uh, it exports all this. So the first item, probably surprisingly to some of you, is machinery. Uh, then we have chemical products, agri-food products. This has been increasing significantly in the last few years. Transportation materials. And when you look at clothing and footwear, which are the traditional industries, and probably the first thing that would come to mind if someone asked you, what does Portugal export, actually do not rank that well anymore in terms of how much we export. But we have moved up the value chain. So now, for example, on footwear, we are second only to Italy. And we aim to be first. We'll get there. Um, on clothing is uh, somewhat different, but still very high quality, again, moving up the value chain. And then we have energy products, uh, because we, we import oil and we export refined oil products. That's also a part of it. And this is the um, export uh, base, which is the, the main items here, which is very diversified, which also explains the resilience. And this is just goods. We have, of course, the tourism sector when it comes to exporting services, which continues to rec record uh, or to have record levels year after year uh, in attracting tourists. It used to be golf and beach and in the summer. Now it's all across the country. It's all year round, we have cruise ships in Lisbon every day from January 1st to December 31st. We know because they're just passing in front of the ministry, which is cruel, so to speak. But anyway, it's, it's good that they come. <laughs> we just stand there and see them go by the window. And uh, Well, um, balance of payments. This is the evolution from 2014 to 2019. I didn't want to bore you with the, with the past. We are looking into the future. So current and capital account. And then you see the balance of goods and services and also the uh, current account. 
they're all moving in the right direction. How to turn challenges into opportunities. Portugal is often characterized as a peripheral economy. So we are far from Europe's center where decisions are taken. We are a small economy. And this is typically how one would portray Portugal. But periphery is only a question of where you put the center. If the center is Germany, for example, then Portugal is periphery. But if you look at the globalization trends, our position is actually quite central. We are in Europe, close to Africa, closer to Americas, both north and and south, with very good relationships also to Asia. We have a Portuguese-speaking community that has countries from all the different continents. We meet regularly, and we are now trying to foster more and more the potential of our economic relationships, so to go beyond the language and the culture and explore the advantages of an economic relationship. And we should remaining, of course, European, a European country that we are, we should also pay a lot of attention to the opportunities which exist from our relationships to other parts of the world. Africa holds a fantastic growth potential for the future. Is some say where the growth of the future will come from more than anywhere else. We also have a very good relationship with Latin America, Brazil, obviously, Portuguese-speaking country. Uh, We have also had, uh, for centuries, a very good relationship with Asia, uh, with uh, China and other Asian countries. So we are in a privileged position to be, to those countries, a gateway into Europe and to our European partners, the ideal partner to explore opportunities in these markets. And if we combine this unique characteristics that we have, then we can turn what could be a challenge of being a peripheral country into a real opportunity in this globalized world. That's one of the examples how to turn challenges into opportunities. We also have an issue. We still suffer from financial fragmentation. This has been somewhat reduced Uh, by the process of the banking union, which we were very actively involved in, pushing very much for this. Actually, it's more than a banking union what we need. It's a financial markets union. We need to fight this fragmentation of the markets um, because the fact that we are a small economy in that context peripheral, we suffer more from financial fragmentation than others in the center of Europe. So it is a key element to us, especially because we have very high levels of debt. We have accumulated a number of imbalances since joining the euro, which will take also a number of years to unwind because the stocks are just too big to be unwound very quickly. We have resolved the flow problem, but the stocks will take longer to unwind. And it is very important that we do this in a context where financial fragmentation is reduced because it helps to promote the right flows of investment and financing, and it helps also lower the funding costs for the Portuguese economy, which should not constitute an adverse uh, competitive element. Uh, And we should be able the same 
type of company should be able to get the same levels of funding than any other company elsewhere in, uh, in Europe. Well, about turning lessons into, into policy. What we see, and this is a very important lesson to learn, that the level of indebtedness constitutes a drag on growth. It results from lack of competitiveness. That's why we have accumulated significant levels of debt. And the higher the debt, the more difficult it is to regain competitiveness. So here is a vicious circle and a, a negative feedback loop from one of the problems into the other. So fighting excessive indebtedness is a key element to promote competitiveness. And the more competitive we become, the lower will be the levels of debt. And this is quite evident just from looking at the more uh, um, developed economies. How do this translate into a paradigm for policymaking? Acknowledging the link between competitiveness and high debt is acknowledging that fiscal discipline is a key tool to gain competitiveness, so always the underlying, the necessary condition, then this is a, a, a lesson not only to Portugal but also to the EU, which is reflected in recent developments, how we have changed the fiscal rules into more binding constraints than they were before, and the importance has been given to structural reforms fiscal consolidation being the structural reform. And these changes are visible in the EU policy, but also in Portugal with reforms in fiscal discipline, seen not just something imposed from the outside, but something that should be done for our own good and our own benefit, no matter what. The way forward. Well, we have to have a... As, as much as positive, positive uh, external environment, and this requires the appropriate institutional framework for the euro area. The element of monetary policy is being handled by the ECB very well, by the way. So the ECB is really, is really doing whatever it takes, as Mario Draghi promised. And we need to make sure that the pil pillar on fiscal discipline and structural reforms is also preserved. To have the right institutional framework, the right institutional architecture to guarantee that these two parts function appropriately, one with, uh, with the other, is key to the success of the whole euro area and the EU. The EU sorry. And this new paradigm, which places that competitiveness link in the center of the discussion, must be reflected in the way Euro area member states coordinate policy. We depend too much on each other to look at each other's, at our own country, as our responsibility with no impact on the others. It is once we have a common currency and common responsibilities, what we decide to do impacts on others. So our responsibility is beyond ourselves. And that is a message both for small and big countries. It is in everyone's interest that we all go in the same direction and do the necessary structural reforms. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you.
Obrigado. I think if you may, if the audience will tolerate this, I'll ask a first question to try to warm us up and then take questions in groups of three. My first question is the assertion that fiscal discipline, as you just said, may be a necessary condition for recovery. But Portugal's difficulty over the years since the start of the euro has been consistently low growth ending also with, in 2007, an extremely large uh, current account deficit on the balance of payments, which from memory is about 11%. Do your 1,450 measures give optimism that you're going to have higher growth in future than you've had since the start of the euro? Thank you. Um, yes, <laughs> that's the, the short answer, but I'll try to elaborate a little on that. Um, First, because the illusion of growth based on debt is no longer available, so good things also come out of crisis. Uh, that availability of debt to replace for competitiveness gains and support increased uh, um, consumption levels is no longer available. Uh, it will likely not be available in the foreseeable future, even if markets are lenient now, they are not as distracted as they were in the past. So the ability to continue to increase the debt levels uh, has been significantly reduced. Uh, but also we have started to change the structure of the economy to make it more oriented to a the tradable sector. So we have reduced excessive rents, we have reduced levels of protection to those area those uh, uh, sectors of the economy working solely for the internal the domestic market. And we need to make sure that the right incentives when it comes to public policy point the corporate sector in the direction of becoming competitive in an open in a globalized economy. It is not up to the government to decide what the corporate sector will do. Our role is to provide the incentives for them to do what we think is sustained going forward. And then let the private sector react and decide because economic agents are rational. So if we put the right incentives in place, they will respond. And I would say, yes, clearly we are in a better position to have an increased growth rate. Okay, thank you. I'll stand up because it's quite hard to see the audience. Uh, question right at the back. Uh, well, I have a lot of questions, but maybe I can just Please start. Tell me briefly who you yeah. are. Yes, be, of course. Be, be short. Yeah, maybe I can ask the other ones later. So my name is Paulo Costa, and I'm one of the half a million Portuguese that have to leave the country because uh, we had uh, not, not work or the wages were too low for us to work there. So my two short questions are, don't you think that the fact that so many people left will hinder the economic growth of Portugal and the second one is comparing EU and US recovery uh, US starting with 
competitive easing immediately after the crisis and in 2011 they already had recovered GDP to what the 2008 levels were. In Europe, we just started quantitative easing now, and we still not recover GDP from 2008. We are still below that level. So, don't you think comparing EU policies and US policies that EU policies have been a failure? Question here from Bernard, and then one over here. Bernard Casey, uh, University of Warwick and LSE. I was going to ask some of the questions which was asked before because when you showed exports you didn't actually show Portugal as an exporter of people, which it has been on a massive scale in the last years. And some of that also is related to the fact that whilst you showed what might happen to consumption, what might happen to employment in the next years, the picture was not particularly a, an encouraging one. These changes have come at an enormous cost, and I think it is incumbent upon you to actually illustrate some of the costs as well as some of the gains. This is not to say that the costs were not necessary, but it is going to take quite a long time for the pain to actually be alleviated, and I think perhaps you should have said a bit more about the pain and how long that will last as well. Uh, thank you for taking my question. I'm currently a, a graduate student at LSE. So I've got two questions. First is that we know the Portuguese general election is within a year. So would this impact in any way the restructuring program that you're undertaking now? And the second is, uh, when I started undergrad studies, uh, four years ago at NOVA, uh, Vitor Gaspar gave out a very similar speech as you're giving right now, the promising forecasts. But then the economy for the past three years didn't seem to have recovered so well. So how would you comment in the discrepancies between forecasts and the real economy, or the, in other words, the accuracy of these forecasts you're throwing out? Thank you. Okay, thank you. That, that was three questions from men in the first round. I'm going to encourage the ladies to pose questions next. Okay, so starting with uh, Paul Costa, if I uh, understood the name correctly. Uh, how uh, the immigration affects growth. Um, well, if you consider that we have talent <clears throat> leaving the country, it does have an impact. But immigration has always been a future, a feature of the Portuguese economy. This is something which has, has always been present, present. And if you look at the numbers of immigration on a yearly basis before the crisis, you see that they were already significant. So when you look, and this is official data, which I think only record until 2012, but they already have a significant part of the effect of the crisis, you see that on a yearly basis we have an increase of 10 to 12,000 people. So to say that we have 100, people leaving every year, 100,000 people leaving every year, 80,000 were already leaving anyway, 80 to 90 before. So it is, there is a change, there is an increase, is not a massive exodus of the country. On the other hand, uh, it is true that we had a recession, 
that we had a significant increase in unemployment, and that makes life more difficult. It is also true that our younger generation is better prepared to find opportunities elsewhere, and it is also true that our young people are very much appreciated in other countries, which is in itself a good thing. So what we need to do is to make sure that the policies implemented improve the situation of the country in such a way that those who want to stay can stay, those who want to leave because they want to explore the world and have different opportunities also have that possibility, but also that foreign people, foreign young people who want to live and work in Portugal also have that opportunity. But for that to happen, we need to restore competitiveness. We need to increase the growth rate. We had major imbalances building up for a number of years. It required a significant and painful adjustment process to stabilize the situation, and now we need to take the next step and improve competitiveness and improve growth. The fact is that there is no way you can do this overnight. There is no magic pill. There is nothing you can do to resolve the accumulation of problems and imbalances for 15 years and then expect it to have it resolved overnight. So it takes time, it takes effort, it takes patience. That is required. And obviously also requires appropriate policies, which is what the government defends that we are doing, and that's what we are trying to put in place. But it's going to take time. However, we hope that those people who left the country unwillingly, so the ones who didn't want to leave, um, can find that Portugal is an interesting place to come back to, and also that they bring back to the country all the knowledge that they have accumulated, and we should also benefit from this extraordinary network we have abroad and use it to the benefit of the country. If we have so many immigrants, if we have qualified immigrants, in growing their importance, with growingly important positions in the uh, institutions they work in, why should we not all join efforts and use this in the benefit of Portugal as well? And then those who want to come back are obviously more, more than welcome, but that we can also benefit from the fact that we have talent abroad and use this as a network in the benefit of the country. The second question on the QE, beginning earlier, whether that explains the uh, re recovery of the European economy. That's, that may be part of the explanation, but indeed, as I'm sure you know, the differences between the American economy, the U.S. economy, and the European economy go far beyond monetary stimulus. So there are many, many other reasons to explain why the recovery in the U.S. happened earlier, uh, and the recovery in the EU is uh, taking slightly longer. But it's still beginning. We see 
the prospects of growth being revised upwards for a change. For too many years, we saw them being revised downwards. Now they're being revised upwards. It's still modest, but it's a clearly a good sign that we are moving in the right direction, also with the support of, uh, of QE. On the, thank you. On the second question, I think I have uh, sort of answered to this uh, exporting people in uh, the, the answer to the first question. Um, and when you said that we should focus more on explaining the pain of adjustment uh, and how, much, how long is it going to last, how much longer is it going to last, uh, I'm sure you can imagine that as a member of government, I would love to promise that it will all go away tomorrow that we will have a growth rate of 5 or 10 or whatever percent next year, uh, and that unemployment will disappear. Uh, but that would not be reasonable, and you wouldn't believe it anyway. So we try to present what are reasonable expectations, uh, what can be a consistent path of recovery, because more than anything, we need to make sure that we are not going back. If there is something we should bear in mind from the pain of the adjustment is that we do not go under it again. That is the main lesson. We don't need to go through the pain twice. Once is enough. So we need to make sure that the recovery path is consistent. It is difficult for people to understand that it's slow, that it takes time, but that's inevitable as long as we continue to move in the right direction. We should also appreciate the, the, the difficulties of the adjustment process and the difficulties of inverting long-lasting uh, long imbalances that we have accumulated. As for the elections, will have an impact. <coughs> I hope not, and I sincerely hope that we start worrying about elections in Europe. We're all democracies, so elections are a natural part of the democratic process. We're all committed to being in the euro area, committed to being European Union members. Um, the commitment is not from the governments, but from the countries. Elections should not change that. That is the core of democracy. Um, as to Vitor Gaspar, delivering a similar speech? Actually, no. He explained why we got to the situation we were in, um, and then he had forecasts going forward. With some adjustments, basically, uh, we were expecting the same trend. When we talk about projections, I mean, we are not in the guessing business, so um, we cannot just be on spot, unless by accident, uh, but the trend was what is what he had anticipated by then, and now I'm fortunate enough to announce that it has already started. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> I was a privilege to ladies first in, the, in this round of questions. You don't look like a lady to me. Um, my name is Maf Falda. I'm a postgraduate student here at the LSE. Um, I, ju I was just wondering, in your opinion, why do you think that um, Greece is still undergoing its second economic adjustment program whilst Portugal um, has already entered the post-surveillance phase? Obviously, there's you know, a, a very long road ahead. Uh, do you think that the attitude towards the reforms has had a significant impact in the outcome of uh, the implementation of the reforms? That's a question. 
I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that we all know that the banking sector was quite a problem during the crisis for Portugal, and you mentioned the European Union will help the Portuguese banking sector. What other measures does the government plans to implement to help, to support lending and to help the banking sector to improve? Okay. One last question here. Okay, that will have to be it. Over here, please. Uh, John Gelly from Reuters. Uh, just to, to, to pick up on that question on Greece, I just more pointedly wanted to, to get your what are your expectations of the current kind of Greek negotiations that are going on amid speculation from some that you know they might stall and Greece could leave the eurozone. And the second part of that question, I mean, what if Greece, Greece do leave the eurozone? What kind of impact do you think that's going to have on Portugal's access to the market and their financial markets? Uh, allow me to answer that last question. You've managed a successful exit from the adjustment program and you've waved goodbye to the Troika. Do you, come back. Do you, do you have any sympathy for Varoufakis? <laughs> okay, okay so, that, this will be the last round of questions. So okay, stop thank that, you. Uh, <laughs> okay, on the first question... Um, sort of comparing Portugal to Greece um, and the importance of the attitude. That certainly played a role. We talk a lot about ownership of the programs. So it is important that when a government is implementing the measures, that that government feels that those are the right measures. It does not necessarily... it's, It's not easy... No government likes to announce increases in taxes, reductions in, in, uh, in salaries, reductions in pensions. We would obviously prefer not to have announced such measures. And we would obviously prefer, particularly in an election year, to promise that we would give it all back at once. But that is not what is expected of responsible governments. And we did what we felt had to be done, and we did it because we believed, and we still believe, that it is critical to guarantee a sustainable future for the country. And if you call that attitude, uh, then it was important to us to believe in the results, to be determined to do the necessary measures to adjust whenever some measures were not possible for different reasons to adjust and find alternatives and still deliver on the commitments and to regain confidence that we had lost. Confidence from the markets, confidence from our partners. That is key. And that is what you should give in return of solidarity. If our international partners, our European partners, demonstrated solidarity towards us, we should respond with responsibility and actually putting to good use the solidarity that we have been given. And that is key. Um, Greece had probably deeper-rooted problems uh, and needs maybe adjustments to what was the initial design of the program. But it needs to want to do it, clearly, as we all do. It is important to have this 
determination. It's difficult enough even if you believe. Imagine how difficult it is to do this not believing that it will produce the right results. So it is important to believe on what is done and that the outcome will be the best possible for your country. Um, as for the banking fin bank financing, what we see now is that the financial sector in Portugal has, uh, has stabilized. We needed public money in many of our banks. Most of them have paid back. Some have paid back in full. Some have only started or have started. Some others are, uh, um, are also paying back to the state. Um, they are They have been able to raise funds again in the market, raise capital and raise debt. So they are in a much better position than they were early in the crisis. But in the banking sector also lies a part of the deleveraging process that will still need a number of years to unwind. So challenges continue. The situation has stabilized. We need to continue to reinforce it. But there continue to be challenges in the Portuguese economy, obviously. Um, and in terms of what we do to promote the financing of companies, we try to provide the right incentives, shifting the tax policy in order to uh, favor equity instead of debt, attract foreign investment, make the business environment easier for, for the corporate sector. As for the last questions on the expectations on, on Greece, we expect that it is still possible to reach an agreement. Uh, we know that the discussions continue uh, between the institutions and the Greek authorities. We will be updated in next week's Eurogroup. Uh, we have set no deadline, so next Monday is not a key uh, date to anything, uh, even because the Eurogroup would meet, would reconvene at any time if, uh, if necessary. So that doesn't need to be a pressure for, uh, for Monday necessarily. We hope that it is still possible to reach an agreement. Uh, as for the impact on the markets, um, we, again, our central scenario is that Greece continues to be in the Eurozone, even because I think that's actually what the Greek people want, and that should be more important. Um, and we are not um, discussing any, any alternative, uh, even if, of course, such a scenario would be worrying for everyone. Uh, as for sympathy for Varoufakis that you asked me, I'm not sure uh, what you mean. If you mean... Well, It's not about personal relationships. It's about professional relationships. We are all ministers. Um, and we all want the Greek authorities to um, maintain the Greek commitments. As I said in a previous reply, commitments are, not, are from the countries and the states, regardless of governments. That's the only way democracies can work, and that's what um, will maintain us all together in the euro area, hopefully. Thank you. Very diplomatic. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that we had to uh, cut out a few of the questions, but I know that you have a busy agenda today. Uh, thank you for a very clear 
and candid, I think, exposition of the challenges facing Portugal and for drawing out the lessons that you think others need to take from your experience because it is valuable to, to learn what a country that's been through this extremely difficult process has learned and therefore can communicate to others. So I think it's been very valuable to hear from you for that. Thank you very much. Thank you.